Hello and welcome to Vegas Odds Football. I am your host, Daniel Ocho. In this episode, I am joined by Alex from Goal Line Sports. Alex is an NFL draft analyst, and I run a number of first-round NFL draft bets by him, and he tells me whether I'm crazy or whether we're going to make some money this week. So before that, I wanted to briefly dive into some USFL picks, a roundup of week two, and big idea. So without further ado, let's dive in. Let's start with this week's big idea. What's the idea? What's the big idea? What's the big idea? What's the big idea, Egghead? My big idea this week is simply that the USFL is growing. The first week of the league was ugly. Lots of ugly games, but they were all close. Um, we talked about the games on this show, but now we're two weeks in, and we've already seen a tangible improvement of play. With the exception of the first game we saw this week between the New Jersey Generals and Michigan Panthers, all the games we saw this week in the USFL were a lot of fun. And the big key here is that quarterback play tangibly improved. The first week, you saw a lot of sloppy throws, a lot of missed routes, a lot of fumbles from these quarterbacks. And listen, Shea Patterson is still terrible. But there was otherwise improved quarterback play. And even Shea Patterson was able to put together a drive at the end of that Panthers game that made it a game. It came down to the last play. He had a throw to the end zone. The rest of the weekend saw some really fun quarterback play, specifically in that uh, Birmingham Stallions and Houston Gamblers game. I'm really in on Jamar Smith. Jamar Smith is a fun quarterback to watch. He's not an NFL guy in all likelihood, but he's a guy who's running around. He's throwing the ball down the field. That is a fun offense to watch. And that Philadelphia Stars and Pittsburgh Maulers game was also a lot of fun. The Maulers defense is electric. They are making plays. They are clearly at an advantage here because it seems like the defenses are really sort of keying in on a lot of the sloppy play and they're scoring points actively. But nonetheless, it's a fun game to watch and the product is really undeniable. That Birmingham Stallions game was electric. The crowd was actually in attendance, which was a lot of fun. So I think people should really give this league a chance. The big idea here really is that you shouldn't judge a springtime football league by its cover. I understand that people are kind of jaded after what happened with the AAF and the XFL, both leagues not finishing out their seasons. But in both cases, the quality of football was actually pretty good as the league went on. The bigger issue with the AAF was the people who were funding the league sort of got cold feet and withdrew their funding, despite an understanding beforehand that this was going to take some time to build. The USFL here is really building something, and the television networks, where a lot of these leagues are drawing the most of their money, are really backing this league. They already said that this league's going to run at least three years. And I think in that time, as long as we're able to establish a greater benchmark for quarterback play, I think that this league could be one that people are talking about in the spring. Listen, it's never going to be at the NFL level, but it could at the very least serve as a distraction at Easter dinner like it did this year. And I understand that not everyone is in the mood to tune in for football all year round. But if you're like me and you enjoy betting on the game of football, this is an opportunity to scratch that itch without having to bet on crazy things like the NFL draft, which I know we're about to talk about. But, you know, the NFL draft is a lot more like a lottery than it is an actual sporting event. So what I really want you to take away here is that if you miss betting on football as much as I do, look into betting the USFL, not just because it scratches that itch that we love seeing touchdowns scored, seeing all that. There's a lot of defensive touchdowns here, so that's a fun thing just to watch as a consumer, but also because this is a smaller market. There's an opportunity here for you to make money. So think about it at the very least. We didn't have time this week to sort of break down week two with the NFL draft coming up, but I'll be back next week with an expert to sort of walk you through the USFL, how it's doing through three weeks, and how you can make money betting on it. 
That does it for me, but now I'm going to be joined by Alex from Hail Mary Sports to talk about how you can make money betting on this year's NFL Draft. Okay, I am here with Alex from Hail Mary Sports. Thanks so much for joining the show today, Alex. Of course. Thank you for having me on. So, Alex, uh, I want to sort of run through some bets I'm thinking about taking on the first round of the NFL this year, and we're going to do a buy or sell segment. So are you buying this narrative or are you selling it? Let's sort of dig into the first one off the top. Uh, Kayvon Thibodeau under the four and a half picks. So I think that Saleh would love to have Thibodeau. I, I think that mm-hmm. the way they're building that team, I think it's something that he really values, um, yeah. sort of pressure there. And the talent, I think, is undeniable. So are you buying that narrative or selling it? Definitely buying it. I think that Saleh wouldn't even think about passing on KT. That's sort of, for me, I just think that it's really a fit beyond just being a fit. I think that the Jets sort of need that infusion of talent. Uh, the the okay. raw ability there can can change the whole face of your defense so quickly. I think that an underrated factor there is going to be bulky uh, with the Jaguars first pick. Does he actually have that much beef with Harbaugh where he's not going to take Hutchinson? That would be probably the biggest determining factor because if Hutch goes one, I'm pretty sure KT doesn't pass two. I'd love to hear that. Um, so you're, you're thinking even ahead of the Jets uh, that, that oh, yeah. he could go too. Okay, awesome. Oh, yeah. My next sort of big picture narrative, uh, are you buying or selling Malik Willis as first QB taken? Right now it's minus 140 at a lot of these books. And my case here is that I just think that everyone is buying this Josh Allen narrative where you take this raw talent and you turn him into a real player. And, and you even if he is raw and he can't really read the field, as we've heard so many scouts sort of say here, um, I think that so many of these teams are looking at the way he runs the ball, that undeniable arm talent and saying to themselves like, with some coaching, I can turn that guy into a stud. I'll put it this way. He should be the first off the board. But the question is, who's going to be drafting a quarterback first? And even insiders in the NFL don't know. This is the weirdest quarterback here because the Panthers are the big question. And there's so many people who are probably going to get fired if they end up missing on that. And yeah. the one thing they don't have is the luxury of time. Malik Willis needs a little bit of time to develop. So Kenny Pickett, as much as I hate to say it, I would probably buy him as the first quarterback off the board, even though he would be not even close to mine. Awesome. I I love that because I hadn't thought about it from that perspective because we're thinking a lot of like these guys are going to have longer shelf lives. They're they're thinking of these guys as project quarterbacks, but you're right. Some of these guys who are drafting near the top of the order, they don't have that shelf life. They're like, we need to win games now or we will not have a job anymore. Yeah. So uh, this was the third sort of bet that I was looking at was Mm -hmm. over five and a half wide receivers taken in the first round. My case here, this was an incredibly weird offseason where a lot of these teams that we uh, typically think of as sort of wide receiver factories, big, high-powered offenses, lost some wide receiver talent. Mm -hmm. And there are also teams where they're kind of looking for that next tier of wide receiver talent. And on top of that, we've seen what some of these first-round wide receivers over the last several years can do. They're immediate difference makers. Jamar Chase, Jalen Waddell, these are guys who are elevating your offense immediately upon stepping on the field. I was just running through some of the teams. I'm looking at the Niners, the Jets, the Packers, the Chiefs, the Falcons, the Eagles, the Giants, the Patriots, the Cowboys, the Lions, and the Chargers. All I need is six of them to take a quarterback, and I'm and I'm hitting on this bet. So are you buying yep. or selling over five and a half first-round wide receivers? I'm selling for this reason. I think that those teams that have picks are willing to wait to the second round because there's a lot of teams saying that we're overvaluing this wide receiver class, and there are positions of more scarcity, um, offensive tackle being one of them where as well as being five quarterbacks possibly worth a first round pick where you could have teams trade back and Detroit has picked 34 um, Jacksonville has picked 33 where if you want to get somebody you can get them at that spot too I, I love that I, I think that 
that's a totally fair estimation. I think a lot of the hype around this wide receiver class, and, and I'm falling for it myself, is that a lot of these teams like sort of need an infusion of talent. But mm-hmm. I'm a Steelers fan, so I've seen over the last several years, you don't need to invest yep. that draft capital in the first round in a wide receiver. There's so much value to be had later in the draft with guys like Deontay Johnson, Chase Claypool for the Steelers. Those guys were not yep. first round picks. And all nope. of a sudden, they're some of the better wide receivers in the league. Exactly. I'm a Steelers fan too. So trust me, I know. I know the grind. Now that you are mentioning that you are a Steelers fan, this brings me to my my next bet uh Steelers to take a first round quarterback plus oh. 190 so I don't know I don't know how much of this is hopium that I am sort of huffing oh. as a Steelers fan and how much of this is a real tangible uh thing that the Steelers are going to do I look around that roster and I see one of the more complete rosters in the league with a, a lack of depth I like Mitch Trubisky for his whatever limited upside he may have as a bridge QB but mm-hmm. I think they've put together a situation now where they're not pressured to take a quarterback but if yeah. they are in a position to take a guy they really like, I think they're going to do it. Absolutely. So um, this is a text I literally sent out today to my buddy who is a scouting director in the NFL. So I asked him, is Pittsburgh in play for a quarterback? I assume yes. And if so, who would they be looking for? Powell or Willis or Ritter Pickett type? And then he said, I'm not sure. I'm assume uh, uh, yes, as well as it's been tough to figure out that teams uh, will actually get the target that they're looking for. I'm going to say bye. The real question is, who is it going to be there? And there's a sneaky target if the Steelers actually want to move back at draft capital, Sam Howell at the end of the first. Uh, mm-hmm. Some teams have him as QB two or three, and he's kind of the forgotten man in the bunch. So it's a way to gain draft capital, get defensive backs per se, and then still also address a position where you develop him for a year. And you are somebody who makes sort of some of this draft content. So how do you view Sam Howell as a prospect? He is my quarterback too. And he graded out as my quarterback one, but... You know, grading scales get tweaked over time. What was it about Sam Howell uh, that sort of stuck out to you? And what what do you see that a lot of people I think are overlooking? Yeah, so he's extremely consistent with his ball placement. That's something that a lot of quarterbacks don't exactly do anymore. He's very well built for his size. Uh, obviously, like Matt Carroll is my former high school quarterback, but like Matt is a much thinner build. You see that when he plays, you, he plays with the same aggressiveness, but he doesn't have the body frame to hold up to it. Sam Howell has a strong arm, big body. He can run the ball as well. That just allows him to have a higher platform. And then, you know, he's so young as well. Three years starting, and he's still just a true junior. The youngest quarterback, I believe, in the draft class, especially of the top group. So definitely adds a lot to his value overall. And his decision-making, honestly, wasn't that terrible, even though his system didn't really allow him to make that many decisions. Interesting. So so who was your quarterback one? It was Malik. Like and- Again, graded-wise, it was Sam, but Malik can take the cake. And what was that for? Was that because of those like traits? Some of these guys just are not exhibiting here that just the ceiling is higher. So even though Malik is a little bit older, we also have to remember that he's only started for two years. So, I mean, again, you don't have that football impact injury uh, rating, like his body's still younger and he's great as a leader. That's a huge thing. Like you have to be good in the locker room. Otherwise you're going to get your rear kicked out. He's coachable, has all the physical talents you could want. And he has a great enough arm where he can hit the very tight window throws. And some of the throws are just, they're, they're Josh Allen-esque. So definitely somebody who I would try to develop. Um, yeah, I think in the long run, he has the chance to be something special. That sort of brings me to another bet that I was looking at in the first round. Uh, over two and a half quarterbacks taken in the first round. I'm going to say over. Malik and Kenny are pretty much lock ones from everybody I hear. And then that 30 to second overall pick, at least, not to mention potentially the Steelers as well. You see the Saints in there. I would say almost buy if it was three and a half over. 
That, that, that line was sort of fishy to me when I first saw it because I was yeah. with you. I, I see there's almost no version of this draft where there's not at least three guys taken in the first round, whether yeah. it's some of these back half of the first round teams sort of looking mm-hmm. for a quarterback of the future. But then I could also see the argument against it in like teams like the Lions, who people may be thinking are, are looking to, to get somebody a quarterback. The Lions could very easily look at their roster, say we're still a year away anyways. And Goff was pretty goddamn good at the second half of last year. He was a. Uh, his passing stats were very comparable to Kyler Murray, who was a guy who was about to make $50 million a year. So yep. even though I don't buy Goff necessarily as a franchise guy, you can sort of see that that logic uh, taking hold among some other teams with a little like, oh, we can go wait another year, come back for a better quarterback draft next year and yep. sort of approach it from that perspective. Definitely. I mean, the only problem is if you actually draft with legitimate logic and realize that these quarterbacks aren't going to be legit impact players and know that maybe Desmond Ritter could be there in the second round or something like that, then that's when you could start trying to say the under, but the NFL is not logical. They're yeah. impulsive. They're sitting there on the clock. They have no idea what the hell the other teams are going to do. So they do what they want rather than what's probably best at the pick. So now uh, this is sort of a strange one that I saw. Uh, the Bengals to take a corner or defensive back with their first pick is plus 300. Um, and my logic there is that the general manager recently came out and said they're in the market for a cornerback. Um, this is a team that could use cornerback help. They sort of put together a unique free agent, sort of weird the defensive backfield last yeah. season. And I think that they could use an infusion of talent there. The long odds sort of stood out to me. I think people yeah. are jumping on the idea that they're going to go offensive line, complete that natural rebuild of the offensive line that sort of collapsed as the playoffs progressed. But we've seen already from last year's draft, the Bengals may convince themselves that they don't need to prioritize offensive line in the top of the draft. They can yeah. uh, sort of figure it out with back later draft picks or with free agency. See, this has been the toughest one that you've thrown at me yet, because when you look at it, who's going to be there? Is Tyler Linderbaum going to be there? Yes, you buy that immediately. I, no. I literally bought a bottle of Dom Perignon because I promised my show that if they if Tyler falls at that point, it's my number six player in the draft that I will pop it on live stream and drink the entire bottle. <laughs> Not a brilliant logical move like I was yeah. preaching earlier, but that's something that you can definitely do. Problem is, you know, Ted Karras played left guard last year for uh, the New England Patriots. They brought him in to potentially play center. I think that that could still be a position to address. Another one is you lost Larry Ogunjobi. So Travis Jones potentially could be there, but Mike Renner per PFF is talking about how these D tackles could go even higher and before them is Tampa Bay, who might not be even having a Dominican Sue on the roster. So with those guys being taken off the board, hell yes, corner should be there. And I know that Andrew Booth is not going to be a first-round pick. So Kyrie Elam could be a potential target there. You could also look at trading back and getting Andrew Booth. It's a risky one because you don't want to pull a trigger on Kyler Gordon because he's just he's not ready yet. Yeah. So it's a really weird question. But the dominoes might fall in a way where that's the hand that's forced. So buy it. Love it. Because that's one of those longer, longer odds bets that I am just so excited to take because you can so easily see the dominoes falling in a way that leads them there. So now um, another bet that I was looking Mm -hmm. at was the New York Giants to take a an offensive lineman with their first pick. Logically, I'm from New York. I listen to the radio. These guys have one offensive lineman with like a pulse right now. Yep. (laughs) <laughs> um, they, they have a lot of holes to fill and they are sort of strapped uh, monetarily due to their free agent spending from last year. I could see this going either way. I like the pick, though. Like I said before, they have literally one offensive lineman who is really a mm-hmm. pro level talent at this point. So I just think it's such a priority for them. So are you buying or selling the New York Giants with an offensive lineman for their first pick? My gut says buy. But the one thing I would want to know is Carolina taking calls. There is a chance 
not from my insiders in the NFL. They don't say that there's really a chance of this, but there's a chance if they go offensive line, let's just say they go Charles Cross at five. Sauce Gardner could be there at six. And if the Eagles just say, screw it, we have all the capital we need, we can move up. That very well could complete their defense and make a good championship run. Because, you know, Wink Martindale likes to have a man-to-man corner that would be able to be like the opportunity for the Eagles to kind of give the proverbial middle finger to the Giants, so to speak, at seven. So that could be the opportunity cost. If you know that Carolina's taking calls, you might want to be able to go after Sauce at five. But at the same time, I mean, it just seems like it's almost like a done deal. You got to go off its line at five. Love it. Love to hear that, especially because because I'm already on it. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> we talked a little bit about Ritter, uh, Desmond mm-hmm. Ritter, Cincinnati quarterback. The pick that I'm looking at here is Desmond Ritter to be a top 32 pick at minus 120 on DraftKings right now. And the case for for me here is that I think that Ritter is one of those guys who teams are looking at like the intangible stuff and are like, we love this guy. We want this yep. guy in the room. And he is like, I, I think the personality is a big draw for people, even outside yeah. of the tape, which, which I think is good. And yeah. I, I know we talked about the Steelers a little bit before. Mm-hmm. I could totally see that as a pick at the end of the first round. That's the kind of guy who they haven't been whining and dining on camera like Malik Willis, yep. but I could see that being a connection at the end of the first round. So are you buying or selling Desmond Ritter as a top 32 pick? So Brett Coleman released his quarterback video, which he admits he's not very good at quarterback grading, but he talks about like three pretty much crucial aspects of a quarterback. One of those is coachability. Another one's mentality. Another one is your raw tools, right? And Ritter does have all three of those. He has a strong enough arm. You saw him throw about a 70 yard pass at his pro day. He obviously has the mentality to do anything he wants, you know, through the interviews and he's a great leader. He's been very coachable. He's worked four years doing stuff. So if you check all three of those boxes, teams are going to fall in love with you. He didn't grade very well on my scale because I hate inaccurate quarterbacks. When <laughs> windows are tight in the NFL, like you have to throw it on target or else that's an interception or a PBU. But I highly believe that if he's there at 32 and Detroit's like, I don't want this guy. Like they have picked 34. They can be perfectly fine with whoever they want. Let's just say Seattle is comfortable with him. Uh, New Orleans comfortable with him that is a guy that they can go and get. So definitely somebody, if a team's looking for either instant impact for a low cost or else a team that's just saying, screw it, might as well take a shot. Definitely seems likely at 32. Love it. I'm happy to hear that you seem to be buying a a lot of these, these picks because I I just think there's a lot of value to be had on betting the NFL draft. I'm in New York state. Uh, It's not on any of the legal betting markets right now um, because they don't consider it a sporting event. But yeah. last year, the books got their shit kicked in with the, with the draft because they just don't know what's going on. Yeah. So I want to talk a little bit now about are there any players who you think could sneak into the first round who are not really being talked about in that way? So I'm thinking of guys like Terrell Edmonds from a few years ago, basically almost any defensive back the Steelers have drafted over the last eight years. So honestly, though, <laughs> pretty ridiculous i'm gonna be honest um so travis jones that's one that not many people are talking about a lot of people are saying like oh what if he's there for the browns at 44 he's gonna be a first round pick uh just based on the absolute lack of uh interior defensive line class or interior defensive lineman in the class wow english is tough uh his also his stature 328 at 13 percent body fat the guy's absolutely dominant and Again, there's three interior defensive linemen that you need to know in this class, and then it starts getting a little bit iffy. You got Logan Hall and Perry on Winfrey after that. Those guys aren't worth first-round picks at all. So you have three dudes who can actually make an impact on your roster. Then you have your role players, which are probably like late second, early thirds. That's a guy who can sneak in. Uh, Kyrie Elam, a lot of people aren't talking about him. He should be a first-round pick probably later in the first because he had a tough year. 
Um, let's see, other people I should mention, Tyler Smith. So I was on him in November, but PFF actually just updated their big board and put him up from 70 all the way up to 25. A big fan of him. He's going to be probably a guard convert at the start. I could see a team like the Bengals, if they don't want to pay Jonah Williams, wanting to move him to guard in the short run. Obviously, they lost the Super Bowl because their left guard was absolute cheeks. But then he can move to left tackle in the long run. Guy's an absolute mauler. Uh, let's see other people. Leo Chanel. So I don't know if it, it's probably – I know a lot of people have him like ranked in the 70s and stuff. But he's a 260-pound linebacker, can run a 4-5, absolute dynamite leader. My buddy, Cesar Williams, was his DB. Like He came on the show, got to talk about him. Met up with Cesar for lunch, by the way. Great guy, by the way. <laughs> but like, just talks about his absolute tenacity. I could see him even going at like 21 to the Patriots. So there's a lot of guys that could be going this range. And um, I'm trying to think of maybe more defensive players that could sneak in. Jalen Pitry. I have him actually graded as a blue-chip prospect, but lower value position. Like if yeah. you really think you can be a safety convert, that's a guy that you could be trying to target there. There's a lot of guys. I feel like generally a lot of these like longer shots uh, to be taken in the first round bets, you're not going to see yeah. them necessarily in a lot of these, uh, these boards. But if you do see one of these yeah. bets, especially on the defensive side of the ball, I, I feel like, and I don't have, it just is just sort of an anecdotal observation. Mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of the times we see those guys jumping maybe uh, 70 or wherever lower, lower ranked guys jumping into that first round. It's like yeah. defensive players who people sort of fall in love either with traits or with uh, the scheme that the team themselves are running. Do you feel that that's the case? So I had, there was actually, I was watching this on PFF tailgate today. They had a saying where it's like scheme specificity increases the farther you are away from the ball. So maybe there are teams like obviously the Steelers drafting Terrell Edmonds, that safety seemed to fit their scheme. And it seemed like a major reach to us and probably was, I mean, obviously they paid $2.5 million on a second (laughs) contract, right? But maybe a safety position, a corner. So that's where Kyler Gordon could be in the equation. Uh, Those guys could be sneaking into the first because teams just think that guy fits what we're looking for. And not many guys do that because we have to start filtering it down a lot more. So I guess it goes against Tyler Smith and uh, Travis Jones, but those guys are just freaks in their own right. Awesome. So now sort of wrapping things up, I just want to briefly talk about, are there any storylines sort of entering into the draft that people are not really talking about? Because we sort of know at the top of the draft, Aiden Hutchinson, um, whether he's going to be the number one overall pick, there's a lot of those quarterback storylines near the top, but I'm just wondering whether somebody who's uh, following this, all this stuff very closely, whether you're tracking something that maybe everyone else isn't sort of really keyed into. So the Jameson Williams story is fascinating because he was on track to be about like 15 to 10. And then all of a sudden he gets his ACL tear. And a lot of people are dropping him out of the first round. I was like, no, this is going to be a bunch of BS. Like once the draft process happens, people will start forgetting about it. And he's going to be healthy. ACLs repair anyways. Yeah. And all of a sudden Tyreek Hill gets shopped. And we see the value that even when you have to pay a guy $30 million a year, you're still going to get a boatload of picks. Yeah. Even though it still seemed a little bit cheap, but when you add in a $30 million a year contract, it's it a little expensive. Yeah. Then you got like also Debo on the market, and you're seeing a lot of interest from teams there, which shows the NFL is interested in a wide receiver one, someone who can make a true impact. And the Jets were in on that Tyreek Hill fiasco. That means they value a receiver who can actually take the top off of defense. Now we're getting Jameson Williams in the top 10. All of a sudden, PFF's like, he's going A or else it's a reach or else it's um it's a crazy slip. It's very intriguing. That's a story to watch because on draft day, we'll see how much the NFL truly values an ACL tear. 
one thing that sort of stuck out to me was I think it was either Rappaport or Schefter released some sort of PR tweet uh, about Jamison Williams uh, yesterday, I believe. And it was all about uh, every, all these teams are sort of now hopping onto this train. And it yep. just feels to me like the media narrative and sort of behind the scenes are all sort of taking hold on this guy. And, and it feels like there's a wave here now. Um, it almost reminds me of the Baker train a few years ago when he was that mm. surprise number one overall pick where all of a sudden it was like, Whoa, wait, wait, this guy wasn't a first round pick like a few months yeah. ago. And all of a sudden it's like teams are now talking about Baker as a number one overall pick in your assessment of Jameson Williams. Do you feel right now like teams are reaching on him or do you feel like it's an adequate position for him to be taken in, in that sort of top 10 range? So again, wide receiver requires specificity in their role. Again, you're so much farther from the ball. So I think that the term reach really applies to how you're going to use him. And I'm going to be honest, my grading scale, I literally talked to my buddy yesterday about this. I'm going to start adding in a new scale for guys who are going to be Z or basically off ball wide receivers, the guys who will not be game pressed like Jameson Williams. I think that as the normal stereotypical X build wide receiver, he's not going to do anything. I have him great as like my eighth wide receiver in terms of that base grading scale, but used in the way, since I know the jets like Elijah Moore on the boundary, that is going to be perfect, perfect scheme specificity. I don't think that it's an overhype at all. If you can use him the way you want to. And Zach Wilson has the cannon. You have a great, brilliant mind with a guy in Robert Hollis. Great. LaFleur's great. You have everything you need in order to make Jameson Williams have the greatest impact on your roster. So I think that if the scheme is right, take him. Again, that guy could be truly game-breaking. I think that's sort of a really interesting point here because – a lot of the way that wide receiver has been assessed historically is just totally different now, um, especially because teams have gotten so much better at maximizing the value of these guys in terms of getting them the ball behind the line of scrimmage with a guy like Debo or uh, even a guy like Amon Rossi and Brown last year, where basically it took the full season for them to recognize like, oh, wow, this guy is electric with the ball in his hands. Why are we not giving him handoffs, doing anything we can to get it to him? And I think that's a really like apt observation to make. You really have to assess some of these guys who are not going to be operating out of that traditional X receiver role mm -hmm. to they still have a lot of value in this league, especially now with position versatility, sort of taking the top off. So a lot of these smaller receivers can find gaps in the zone and make things happen on offense. Remember, you guys can check out Alex uh, at Hail Mary Sports. Uh, you have anything you want to plug? Honestly, if you guys are looking towards the 2023 draft as well, I'm going to be dropping a mock draft. I don't know when this video is dropping, but might be up already. So check that out again on YouTube, post content almost every single day. So check it out. Awesome. Thanks so much, Alex. Thank you for listening. Uh, be sure to subscribe to this show on whatever app you use to listen to podcasts and be sure to leave five stars. It really helps people find the show. I will be back next week going over the results of the NFL draft. I'll have a guest to break down who were the biggest winners or losers of the draft and what each of these teams looks like post-draft. Until then, I'll talk to you guys soon. Bye now.